Good morning. My name is Philip Sitton. I'm on the staff here, and it's my pleasure to welcome all you visitors on behalf of the membership and the staff, and all of you regular attenders and members to worship on this wonderful day. I have a special message for the visitors. There are cards like this in the pews in front of you. We would love for you to fill this out, put it in the offering plate later, so that we can communicate better with you on a one-to-one -one basis, and that would help us to do that. Also, I have a special announcement. All members need to look at this sheet. Let me see you wave it. Everybody needs to see this. At the top of the second page, or the back page, Pastor Search Committee Update. The committee would like to hear from every member of Calvary Baptist Church by next Sunday. They're asking all of us to fill out a special survey so that they can know what we would like to see in our next pastor. So there are various ways you can use this uh, QR, Square, which will take you directly to the survey. You can put in the website, or you can get a hard copy, a paper copy in the church office. Fill it out, and by next Sunday morning, please return all of the surveys completed and signed. Now a word for everybody. Please turn in your hymnal to page 26. And there you will find one of the greatest hymns ever written. It is Prove the Test of Time. It is a hymn of reformation. It is a hymn of confirmation of our faith. It is a hymn of jubilation because of the victory that is ours through what our partnership and our faith in Christ will bring us to. And so, it is not passive. We need everyone to get a hymn book. We need everyone to sing with gusto. We need everyone to match the intensity of the piano and the praise team as we stand together and sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
Dear Lord, our God, what a gift it is to enter into your presence this morning. We pause in this moment to hear your voice. We gather here because we want to learn, to worship, and to rest. Please meet us in these moments with your mercy and gracious provision. Let us transition from a place of gratitude to a spirit of action and movement. I confess my own apathy and hesitation in listening to your call. I want to be safe, so I hold back. Lord, I want to be a follower that is bold for your kingdom. I want to take risks and practice courage. I pray that you will make us disciples who are not satisfied with complacency. Give us a spirit of courage and not of fear. We sit here with your presence, Lord, and together we ask for your guidance, boldness, and vision as we move forward for the sake of your kingdom. Thank you for your promise never to leave us, Holy Spirit. And in your holy name we ask these things. Amen.
reading from the book of Psalms. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress. So, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than its fill of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless servant, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. I'm gonna live so 
can use me anywhere, Lord, anytime. I'm gonna live so God can use me anywhere, Lord, anytime. spring of 2013, Elaine and I were living out in that beautiful desert known as San Angelo. I had retired from my last church in Atlanta and we had moved there in 2007 to take care of Elaine's parents. Both of them had passed away within the preceding few months. Her dad in October of 2012, her mom in February of 2013. Elaine was set to retire that fall and we were already thinking of looking elsewhere, greener pastures, as it were. Now, we were both active in our church, and I had spent four years serving as a chaplain for the Christian Motorcyclist Association. Otherwise, I occupied my time building custom kitchen and bathroom cabinets for people, basically keeping a low profile and distance between myself and ministry. Out of the blue, an email from this person down in Uvalde, Texas, appeared in my inbox. They were looking for ministers to serve on a three-day spiritual retreat for teens. My first thought, uh, no way. After all, I had spent five years keeping my call to ministry largely buried. Did I want to risk going to a new place 
where I knew no one, spending 72 hours with teenage girls, yet I could not bring myself to delete that email. Two days later, I decided that it was indeed a door being opened by God and an invitation to me. You see, he was bringing me full circle. In 1972, I began my ministry as a youth pastor. Well, I answered the email, furnished my contact info to the retreat director, and said, yes, I'm willing to serve. And three days later, I received a phone call welcoming me to the team. God has blessed me beyond any imagination or expectation for that service, for answering the call. It's now a yearly pilgrimage for me to travel to Uvalde, to serve on the team, and watch God at work. Over the last four years, I have watched as 10 young women have said yes to Christ for the first time. I have watched as the faith and commitment of many others has been greatly deepened. But what if I had just turned a blind eye and stayed safely in the cabinet shop? Well, in Uvalde, they had to have so many ministers to conduct that retreat. It would not have happened. And me, I would have missed out on some of the highest spiritual moments of my life. I would have missed out on deep friendships, but most of all, the satisfaction of following God. Skills and time are ours for pressing. 
And now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. O oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In C.S. Lewis's novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, find their way into a wardrobe in their professor's house that leads them into the kingdom of Narnia. And one day, as they are exploring this magical new place, the children meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who begin to tell them about Aslan, the king of Narnia. The beavers assure the children that Aslan is on the move and will be coming back to fight a great battle and to save Narnia from the evil spell of the White Witch. Tell us about Aslan, said several voices at once. For once again, that strange feeling, like the first signs of spring, like good news had come over them. Who is Aslan, asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver, why don't you know? He's the king, he's the lord of the whole wood, but not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time, but the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this very moment. He'll settle the white witch, all right. Is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe? said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We put a lot of effort these days into making ourselves and the people we love feel safe. From the time we were born, we were given blankets and stuffed animals to make us feel safe and secure. When we were scared of the dark, our parents came in to assure us that there were no monsters in our closets or under our beds. Or they held us in their arms and assured us that everything was going to be all right. But as we grew older, we discovered that our parents can't always keep us safe, try as they might. It's pretty scary when we come to realize that truth. I think it's just as scary, if not more so, for the parents who come to realize that truth. So we try lots of other measures to keep ourselves safe. Helmets when we ride our bikes and shin guards when we play soccer. Immunizations and shots to keep us safe from sickness and disease locked doors, security systems, and lights around our houses, safety drills in our schools for all different kinds of emergency situations, 
gates around our neighborhoods and security screenings in airports, passwords for every single website and app that we ever use, airbags and motion sensor radars in our cars. And all of these things are good, right? Until at some point, our need for safety stops us from ever truly living. It keeps us from ever taking any risks, from ever making ourselves vulnerable, ever imagining something other than what we know for sure is safe and secure. But Jesus' words in today's parable remind us that life in the kingdom of heaven is not about playing it safe. It isn't always logical, it's rarely comfortable, and it doesn't leave us feeling secure. Because following in the way of Jesus is never safe, but it's good. In our text, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the ensemble read it for us earlier, a master entrusts his three servants with large sums of money. To the first he gives five talents, to another two, and to another one. And while before we start to let these small numbers of talents fool us, we should know that one talent was the equivalent of approximately 6,000 denarii, or the earnings of an average worker for about 20 years. So five talents would have been the equivalent of 100 years worth of earnings. These were people who had been entrusted with extravagant gifts by their master. Well, the first and second servants go to work at once. Using everything that has been given to them without question, they double their talents. For them, it's a joy and a privilege to give back to the one who had given so much to them. And when he returns, the master is overjoyed, saying, Well done, my good and faithful servants. But the parable pays far more attention to the third servant, afraid that he won't be able to do much with his talent, he digs a hole and hides it in the ground. Now at first, we might think it sounds absurd to bury 20 years worth of wages in a hole in the ground. I think it's easy for us as modern day readers to dismiss the third servant as being foolish or lazy. But before we are too critical of him, let's, let's step into the text and see if we can identify at all with his situation. First of all, the master doesn't give the servants any instructions on what he expects them to do with the money. It just says he gives them the talents, and then he sets off on his journey. So when you think about it, can we really blame the third servant if the master never tells him what to do with the talent to begin with? And it's not like he's the prodigal son that we read about in Luke's gospel, who goes out and spends all of his father's money. This third servant doesn't squander his master's wealth at all. He returns every single penny that was given to him. Logically speaking, this third servant by far makes the safest decision about what to do with this talent. You see, money changers required a fee, 
and theft and robbery were so prevalent at that time that the best way to make sure your money was safe and secure was to bury it in the ground. Earlier in Matthew 13, 44, when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, he's, he's not just making that up. The early readers of the text would have known that it was common practice to bury one's treasure in the ground. And so having taken this precaution, the third servant would not have to pay from his own pocket if the money were lost or stolen. And he wouldn't lose any sleep worrying that his investment might not be fruitful. At the end of the day, he decides to play it safe. David Garland says the first two servants took risks and were rewarded. The last simply tried to protect himself and as a result, lost everything. Frederick Buechner mentions in his writing that, that vehicle inspection stickers in our cars used to say the following on the back. They would say, drive carefully, the life you save may be your own. Buechner said that is worldly wisdom in a nutshell. He says, what God says, on the other hand, is the life you save is the life you lose. In other words, the life you clutch, hoard, guard, and play safe with is in the end a life worth little to anybody, including yourself. And only a life given away for love's sake is a life worth living. This parable begs of us to ask ourselves the question, how often do you and I approach life as this third servant? How often do we allow fear and anxiety to take that front seat of our lives? And what more could God do in and through us if we didn't always play it safe? For instance, do we share our gifts generously or do we play it safe? It takes a risk to be willing to teach a children's Sunday school class, right? because you never know what children are going to say, what questions they might ask that you're not prepared for. It takes a risk to sing in the ensemble or to play an instrument and in worship in front of all these people. It would take a risk for us to show up at the villages this afternoon where we may be asked to strike up a conversation with someone we've never met before, whose life may or may not look different from our own. And you know what? It takes a risk for our neighbors at the villages to show up and to meet us today, too, because they're asking themselves the very same questions. It takes a risk for many of us just to get up the nerves to walk in the door to church on Sunday mornings. And none of that is safe, but it's good. Do we share our finances generously, or do we play it safe with regards to money? It takes a risk to tithe when there's not a lot of wiggle room or any wiggle room in our personal finances. But if everyone were willing to take a risk and to give something from the abundance of what we've been given, our ministry action plan could so much better reflect the God-sized dreams that we feel led to pursue. 
And on the other hand, it takes a risk and an act of faith as Calvary for us to prepare a budget that reflects our God-sized dreams, even when giving may not be where it needs to be right now. Giving our finances and planning with finances is always a risk. When we give to what God is doing in our community, it certainly doesn't feel safe, but it's good. Do we share our lives generously, or do we play it safe and keep ourselves guarded and secure? Do we take the risk of being vulnerable with someone else? Do we risk joining a life group or Sunday school class, even if we don't know a single person in that room? Are we courageous enough to share part of our story with someone that we normally would keep hidden within ourselves? Are we willing to risk sharing our thoughts and perspectives, even if we don't know for certain how they will be received? Do we share our faith generously? And do we even take the risk of getting to know people who may not share our faith? Of course, these things aren't safe, but they're good. Do we pray generously or do we play it safe with our prayers? Do we risk praying boldly about something when we truly don't know what the outcome will be? Do we pray God-sized prayers for our church and where God is leading us into this next chapter? Are we brave enough to ask how God wants each of us to be part of his kingdom work that God's will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven? And are we truly willing to follow whatever God says? Our staff have been talking about this recently, and we will be leading out in a church-wide prayer emphasis in the coming weeks, asking all of us to pray these bold, God-sized prayers for our church, for Calvary. None of this is safe, but it's good. This week, Phil Sitton introduced the staff to a book called The Circle Maker. Pray in circles around your biggest dreams and greatest fears. And in it, Mark Batterson writes the following. He says that neuroimaging has shown that as we age, the center of cognitive gravity tends to shift from the imaginative right brain to the logical left brain. And this neurological tendency presents a grave spiritual danger. At some point, most of us stop living by faith and start living by logic. He says, our date of death is not the date etched on our tombstones. The day we stop dreaming is the day we start dying. When imagination is sacrificed on the altar of logic, God is robbed of the glory that rightfully belongs to God. We lose faith in the God who gave us the big dream and settle for a small dream that we could probably accomplish without God's help. We go after dreams that don't require divine intervention. We go after dreams that don't even require prayer. And the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all of our right brain could ever imagine is supplanted by a God, lowercase g, who fits in with the logical constraints of our left brain. As Phil read these words to us in staff meeting, I couldn't help but envision the third servant. 
paralyzed by fear, he is unable to dream about how his talents could possibly be used. And so he plays it safe with a logical, practical way of living instead of dreaming big dreams that only God could accomplish. Friends, how is God calling us out of logical thinking and into God-sized dreaming? What would it look like for you and for me to stop living safely and to start daring greatly? Most of you know that, that living with a physical disability that causes my bones to break easily is a big part of my story. And so safety is a major concern every single day of my life. There is not a single day that goes by that I don't think about what I need to do to keep myself safe. And so in every picture of me as a toddler, you will notice that one of my parents is not far behind me in the photograph. Or sometimes you just see this hand sticking out behind me, ready to catch me if I fell. Uh, my parents later told me that they rotated being on floor duty around the clock so that there was always someone nearby to try to keep me safe. But try as they might, they couldn't keep me safe all the time. And I continued breaking bones. As I grew older, I learned how to communicate with my parents when I was hurt about what type of pain it was and what was probably broken or probably not broken. But back in those toddler days, I couldn't communicate with my parents like that. And so whenever I fell or bumped against something, I would cry, as all toddlers do. But my parents couldn't tell if I was crying because I was seriously hurt or if I was just scared. So my dad had this really awesome idea. He would pull out a bottle of bubbles. And he told me that they were magic bubbles. and he would blow them over whatever part of my body was hurt. And the magic bubbles would give me the courage to try to get up again. Now you and I both know that these weren't really magic bubbles. They were 25 cent bubbles from the convenience store down the road. And unfortunately they couldn't heal my bones if something was really broken. I know that if my parents could have bought this magic elixir to always keep me safe, they would have bought it in a heartbeat for any amount of money. But it didn't exist. It doesn't exist. Magic bubbles didn't keep me safe. But I believe that they did something so much better than that. They made me brave. Friends, you and I can go to desperate measures to try to keep ourselves and one another safe. But there's never going to be a foolproof plan for that. Like my dad did so many years ago, we can do something that's so much greater than playing it safe. We can empower each other by the grace of God to be brave with our lives. We can give each other the gift of courage to risk following God in an unsafe, uncertain world. In just a few moments, we are going to be baptizing Rebecca Hobbs. And I can't think of a better picture of risk-taking than the act of being baptized. When I meet with people before baptism, one of the things I tell them is not to lock their knees. Because oftentimes people get so nervous in that moment that they become as stiff as a board, which makes it really hard to dunk them back under the water. 
But when they are willing to let loose, and when they trust me enough to fall back, that's when they can be easily submerged under the water and raised up to walk with Jesus in this brand new way of life. Following Jesus through baptism doesn't mean that life will ever be easy for us, and it certainly doesn't mean that life will be safe. But it serves as a powerful reminder to all of us that we have been saved by the risk-taking love of Jesus, who gave his life even to death on a cross, that we might be saved and experience life to the fullest through him. Friends, as we follow together in the way of Jesus, may we too choose to daily risk giving ourselves away for God's radical, abundant, and extravagant love to be seen in us and through us. It certainly isn't safe, but thanks be to God, it's so very good. And so God, I ask that you would give each person in this room a God-sized dream today. A dream that challenges us to leave behind the idea of logic and practicality and rationality and playing it safe. And a dream that gives us courage to take a risk for you. God, maybe that means taking the risk to say, I want to follow Jesus. I haven't made that decision yet. But I want to follow you, and I ask that you would give those people in this room the courage to do that. For others, maybe the risk is, is giving some part of our life, giving of our resources, giving of our time, giving of our love, giving of the abundance of what you have given to us. God, it always feels so risky to open ourselves up like that, to make ourselves vulnerable. But I pray that you would give us the courage and the bravery to dream big and to trust in your love that always takes risks on us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, in a few moments, the invitation today will be what kind of risk are you going to take? How are you going to respond to what you have experienced in this place today? How are you going to respond to God's call on your life? If you would like to talk with someone more about following in the way of Jesus, like Rebecca has chosen to do, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. Or maybe you'd like to pray with someone about a risky, uncertain situation in your life right now. We would love to pray with you. Or maybe you're ready to take the risk to become part of this community of faith where we risk following Jesus together week after week. However God leads you to respond, deacons and staff will be ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
Will you pray with me? Almighty God, your generosity is beyond our understanding. Your love, mercy, and provision are given to us freely. Forgive us for thinking that we have earned these blessings. Give us courage to subdue that left brain with faith and to give back what you have already given us, what is already yours. Open our hearts and hands so that your grace and love may flow through us into the waiting hearts of our brothers and sisters. Make us truly grateful and truly generous. Make us beautiful reflections of who you are to a world that so desperately needs to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I went down to the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down to the river to pray. As I went down to the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, brothers, let's go down, down to the river to pray. Baptism is an act of obedience. It is a symbol of being buried to an old life and being raised to live a new life in Jesus Christ. It shows a believer's public confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today we have Rebecca Hobbs here coming for baptism. Rebecca is a fifth grader at Waco Montessori School. She enjoys playing volleyball on the team at school, and she also enjoys baking. Jennifer Hobbs, her mother, will be reading her testimony. I started thinking about getting baptized after passport camp where I read the Bible and sang songs about God. I want to get baptized because I want to show God that I believe in him and his son, Jesus. My parents have been very important in my journey through my Christian life. They drive me to church every Sunday and pray with me each night. Being baptized at Calvary makes me glad to know that this is my church and you are my church family. 
Rebecca, what is your profession of faith? Jesus is Lord. Rebecca, based on that profession of faith, it is my great joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in a brand new way of life. Rebecca, you are a child of God and our sister in the family of Christ. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Spirit fill you and use you as salt and light in this world to the glory of God. And now, Rebecca, Calvary has some words to share with you. With joy and thanksgiving, we now welcome you into Christ's church, where we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, and to help you know and follow Christ. He is abundant grace, in Christ's unending love, listening to the Spirit's powerful guidance, go in peace.